Welcome to Thrones and Scones. It's your weekday morning podcast where we talk Game of Thrones over breakfast. It's Tony Hans and Jeremy in with you today, hitting season one, episode 10. We've made it to the end. Oh, and of course, power. That's not the title of the season, that's the title of the scone. <laughs> yeah, Guys, no, knowing what we know about the scone, calling it power is. Uh, pretty much a stretch at this point yeah. well no one no one it, man should have all that power <laughs> nobody should have any of that power we'll get Straight to the scone here brick. of course but two two weeks for us what was years ago back in the showtime guys the end of the first season first impressions what'd you think uh, i think it's 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 again like i mentioned at the last episode yesterday i thought it was a a good pace i think you get a lot of story in this um i also think that i don't i think obviously with the storyline i think episode nine is actually a stronger episode for a season in compared to this one mm. um other than maybe a few parts to it but i think uh, it was enjoyable um yeah yeah i think uh, we're gonna get a little bit deeper but uh a lot of setting up the future like the wars and where people are putting power play is coming up i mean we kind of continue a couple themes that are really interesting um from the book as well just with regards to uh joffrey and then of course the lannisters where they're putting their armies um they talk about i think this is where they talk about with retreating because they've kind of put themselves in a precarious situation although that may be the next episode i'm not quite sure remembering that now it's a little tough. There, there's lots happening here. Jeremy, MVP, thank you very much. Uh, you stalled flawlessly. I forgot to pull up the wiki. I've got it now. I'm good at so stalling for, flawlessly. You're, you, yeah. you nailed it, buddy. And, Let's talk uh, about bricks more and power. <laughs> for anyone that might not be familiar with the episode or who just needs a little refresher, it's been a while since you watched it. As of the wiki, here's the plot of episode 10, Fire and Blood. As tragic news spreads across the Seven Kingdoms, Bran and Rickon share a prophetic dream. Not pathetic, although, hey, it could be. Catelyn interrogates Jamie about her son's fall, and Rob's destiny is forever changed. After a surprising decision by his father, Tyrion heads south to King's Landing. The decision was, uh, he's no longer Tywin, he's Tywina. But we'll get into that. Uh, meanwhile, Arya must conceal herself under a new identity in an attempt to escape King's Landing, and Sansa is terrorized by Joffrey. At Castle Black, Jon is forced to choose between the Night's Watch and his family. <sighs> Across the sea, Danny pays a terrible price to save Drogo, but finds new hope when her dragon eggs hatch and three dragons are born. I didn't, I didn't actually want to get to that spoiler right now, but there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Good summary go. wiki. <laughs> Yay, wiki! Uh, yeah, I, extensive wiki. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a big wrap-up here, and I know, I agree with you, Jeremy. I think that there are a couple moments that are very important to happen in this to really set off season two on an awesome foot, like where we yeah. don't have to necessarily open up episode one with a ton of exposition. They kind of drop some of that here and uh, pick, pick and choose their battles, as it were. Right. But in my head, and we've said this before, when I think of season one, the last image in my head is Ned dying, and I think that that would have been more powerful imagery for the very last uh, for the very last point there. Yeah, and it, I mean, and th that continues in this episode. Uh, the morning, you know, Catelyn and Rob, and the the fuel that drives like his decisions as well. I think 
you, you start to see that. But um, yeah, um, why don't we go ahead and is it okay if we just go to good and bad and then we'll come back to some things we come back to cover or what do you think? Yeah, that's, that's all well and good. Um, let's okay. start then in, as you were already touching on, Catelyn and Rob grieving for their loss of Ned. I never realized this before. Like the casting must have been incredible or, or just the acting by uh, Michelle Fairley, I think is Catelyn Stark. Um, there is this moment where she's comforting Rob and Rob's like, I'm going to kill them all. And she's like, we're going to get your, going to get your sisters back and then we will kill them all. And the look on her face is so Lysa Aaron. Like it looks so identical mm-hmm. um, that I, I've never really pegged them as as siblings as far as aesthetics go, but they nailed that scene. And it, it, I assume it had to be intentional. It was so good. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, and I also think her and Jamie's kind of like uh, night conversation, um, you know, when she comes up with that, like just rock in the hand and bashes them across the head. <laughs> I thought that was pretty badass. That was like one of my favorite parts. And, and yeah. just like you get that he's like, look, he's like, kill me. Cool. He's like, you don't mm-hmm. get what I'll do to you. you and I think that's actually a tone that maybe a lot of people may miss. He realizes what he's capable of now, right? Like he's, I don't know if he feels a little bit betrayed or lost being captured and not captured or not brought back by his family because you can see what family means to him from prior episodes, what he's willing to do for his family, um, and how he very much values like his brothers and sisters. So, um, yeah. And I don't know if it's it's obvious that he's missing um, Cersei at this point, but I definitely feel like that's on his mind. I feel like he realizing, like, what if this is the end, and is this how he's going to be remembered in those things as well? Yeah. Pretty badass, though. I mean, like, I'm sorry, it's pretty awesome when a, when a woman bashes you across the skull with a stone, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, and I'll do it just above the ear as many times as possible. Come what? on. Yeah. He's holding on to this confidence. Go ahead, Hans. No, I was just going to say I... Uh... Kind of like we said already, I I was super surprised at how much happened in this episode. Like it was, it was, it's, I don't, when I think of the season, which you had mentioned too, Tony, I don't, I think of Ned dying and I kind of just think, and then I think of Daenerys a bit and then that's it. But this episode is jam-packed. But that's that's just every night before you go to bed. That's that's pretty consistent though. Poster on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, jam-packed, episode 10. I agree there, because this is the... And I thought that this happened either in the last episode or early in season two. Um, again, where we're just so scrambled, we've done this before. Um, my favorite part of the episode, the king in the north. Awesome scene, yeah. That's that's good. I don't Not my favorite, but it's up there. Yeah, and it's we said last episode, no, two episodes ago, where Rob is kind of becoming our golden boy, and this is that Ned Stark mentality where I love it so much because he's the only person around that's going to be in this Battle of Five Kings coming up next season who did not declare himself. It's it's the people around him, the people that trust him, that see what he's going for, that then prop him up as the king in the north and make him worthy of it. Yeah, that's sweet. I like that a lot. I actually never thought about that because, like you're saying, everybody else pretty much proclaims themselves or thinks themselves a, a god and in, in, or, or among men, basically, in in some of the cases. So 
even Ned, who I didn't want to do it, but at that point there where he was going to basically be regent over the realm until an heir was established, um, he kind of had that mentality of, oh, he needs to do this. He needs to be on that chair so that other people aren't. So I think even Rob has the moral edge there where he is doing this for the right reasons. Yep, I, I would agree. And I think he has his family again in mind, and you see that loyalty there. Um and I mean, as we talked about like a little bit last time, it's I think he's underappreciated from a standpoint of just how intelligent he is from a war standpoint. Like mm-hmm. he he's pulled one over the Lannisters, who would arguably be the greatest warlords at, uh, in this area, right? I mean, they have the largest army, they have the most money, and he's pulling this off and doing it well. He's upsetting the balance in that regard, uh, which I think was cool, and it and shows a lot of king-like characteristics. Um, what did you think of the scene with Pycelle or Pycelle or Pycelle or Postle? This is the question mark, um, Maester Pycelle, the question mark on my good, bad, and juggly segment because he's technically clothed, but it's so thin. (laughs) It's so thin. And uh, that that beautiful sunlight shining through just gives us a little nubbin at the at the bottom. Some, something to something to dream about at yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, what might be lying beyond Pycelle's robe? Um, it's my least favorite part of the episode. It was um, mine too. Simply because they seem to do this whole thing where they imply that he's letting on because he he's like, huh, huh, and then he. Crack, 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 pam, pam, pam. The second this woman leaves the room, he's like doing all these stretches, like jumping jacks almost at one point. And then as he's about to walk out of the room, he goes, and he like settles back into his like humdrum shuffle self, which I kind of get what they're going for, where it's like, okay, Pycelle's letting on, you know, what he wants to. He's, He's hiding more than people may know, but I don't really understand what this youthful thing is about, because he's not young, he wouldn't be that spry, and I don't see what hiding that gets him, because even down the line, when he is attacked and uh, imprisoned by Tyrion, that doesn't come out. It's not like he uses that then to, to run away or something, so I don't get it. Yeah, I was trying to remember that in the books that they comment in the sense of like that he's a mat like like crafty or something like that, like how that played out in this in this part yeah. of the of that. But I don't, I didn't make that connection at all. And the other thing I think it's like why is he telling the prostitute all these things? Like why is he you know telling about how it, it just seems very, it was a very odd scene. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Jeremy, you must have never hired a prostitute, my friend. <laughs> I mean, it's it is <laughs> there is the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Hans, did you have any any main thoughts about Pycelle so, and his conversation with Roz? That was that was my Spanish. Uh, that was my least favorite part of the episode too. That I had uh, I, I I wrote that down and my same question why, why? and because I, yeah. I just don't understand it and do they ever really bring it back that I he's don't think this, so. yeah, that he's I, this apparently spry <laughs> old dude? I don't yeah I don't get it and even within that scene itself. He's talking to the prostitute and then basically kind of forgets what he was talking about and he's kind of he, he gets <laughs> he gets confused or long-winded yeah. <laughs> on on some tangent and then she goes, "Oh, well what were you even talking about?" And then he kind of acts confused again, but apparently he's <laughs> not. Like I I don't get it. It makes yeah. no like at that point when it's just the two of them, why is he if he's going to tell the story anyway, why is he pretending to be confused? And it, I don't know. The whole thing's weird. I don't get it. Right. Because you have that scene, which is long. And then the Cersei and then the new lover Lancel part, which is amazingly short, right? Like Amazingly short, yeah. I mean. The part, part two of our good, bad, and jugglies 
Hans, we have such similar notes on everything all the time. Um, I wonder if you wrote down, Lancel is unsettlingly skinny. <laughs> uh Coming from a unsettling skinny man, I didn't write that down. I respect it. I'm just saying. It. I'm just like, saying. That looks nice. I'm just saying. I've seen I've seen uh, Lancel naked now, and I've seen you in person. Naked. I mean, I say naked, but I've seen you in person, and uh, and I think that you got a couple pounds on the guy. He's, he's so he's like a void, like a weird black hole of nothing, like just a, just a tiny little twink. Yeah, little twink. Yeah. <laughs> I, res- I respect it. I and they get into this a little bit later. Like you kind of get that she's pining after Jamie, but I never really understand why Cersei and Lancel have this thing. Like certainly she could entice him with something beyond sleeping with him. I just it think? just makes it just makes her just super weird. I think this whole family obsession with only mm. sleeping with the bloodline kind of thing, and I don't know. It just it, I I think it actually fit her character quite well. It's it was yeah. It was just a weird scene in this show in this episode, but I think it's it's better explained. So in and I almost don't think that we should have gotten in this episode because we just haven't gotten enough tension between Tywin and Tyrion yet, but I think they did set up the fact that there's that bad blood in the past and that they don't have a great relationship. So it's still a good scene where they're having this conversation uh, out in this battle camp where Tywin essentially says, you're right, like acknowledges Tyrion's intelligence and goes on to then send him to King's Landing to be a hand in his stead. Um, There was a moment, and I, I think the scene was done great, in the show, in the books, I remember a very specific quote that, and I don't know if Tyrion says it out loud, but it's at least in his head where he's he's trying to understand it. And he basically comes to the realization where he looks at his father and goes like, oh, I'm all you've got. Like it's, it's less of this respect thing from Tywin and more of this, this is my last play. And I think that kind of sets up the the things to come a little bit better, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I still thought this scene was awesome. Yeah, I thought I it was a good scene. I, I, the kind of like you're saying to it, I don't remember this coming so quickly because I, for some reason, when I was thinking back on the season, I remember there being much more turmoil between Tywin and yeah. Tyrion and they introduced it a bit, but it already seems like Tywin's kind of, you know, backing Tyrion a bit and I think with more context like you're saying from the book that would have made more sense to me um, yeah. given what we're we've been told about Tywin he doesn't seem that bad of a dude yet you know so uh yeah so what do you think uh so we're keeping with the Lannister conversation um with King's Landing and and now the conversation with Joffrey um and their relationship or kind of uh, antagonistic with uh, Sansa um, mm. Obviously, Sansa's just an emotional wreck. Lost her father, and Joffrey just is such an ass. He's like, "Let's go look at yeah. his head mounted on a spike." Um, and I think that was really cool and really well done in the sense that you see Sansa kind of, especially the moment, or obviously with uh, the hand there, or not the hand, sorry, um, oh, Kingsguard, Kingsguard there as well, and they're kind of watching the king but they're giving him enough space that when Sansa has that moment of clarity where she's like I'm that's it I mean my life has no more further value and I'm sure she realizes by pushing him off that you know she would die and just that moment and then just just the wiping of the blood on the lip I mean it was so cold but it was like perfect so I thought that was that was one of my favorite parts of actually the show because it's it's done so well so 
back in episode seven, we had touched on the fact that Sansa is really at her peak uh, annoyingness right now. And um, Sansa's got a, a real back and forth as a character as things go on. Yeah. But this is where annoying Sansa dies. Chi- the, the kid that is Sansa Stark is absolutely Done. dead yep. as of that moment, yep. precisely. Um, and then we kind of get this broken Sansa mm-hmm. who takes on a number of forms, some of which I really don't like, some of which I do. Um, but for better or worse, at least we kind of lose that um, I- immature side of things. She she knows what the world is, and it, it kills her to know it. But she goes ahead with it, um, kind of operating under that mindset. I think they kind of turn Joffrey pretty quick, right? So, I mean, he, he was yeah. kind of a little dick through the whole first season a bit here and there you'd kind of get an idea that he's he's a brat right but he doesn't really turn into just just the now he's just the worst right i mean within the last couple episodes he he turns pretty quick to just being just a complete (laughs) (laughs) a-hole yeah no i think you always get an idea though i mean especially in the from the book he you get this conniving, I mean, just arrogant, evil son of a bitch from the beginning. And that's what I think, like, the whole with him cutting um, oh, whatever the the kid that ends up dying. I can't think of it. Like the, Mike, Micah. Micah, yeah. I mean, with him doing that from, from that, you get that he just has no care other than just literally being who he wants to be. And then he's yeah. king, right? And he realizes he's the soon-to-be king. And I think, like... Now that he's on the throne, he's like, I will do and say whatever I want. And violence is very much his answer and his, um, I would say, his shield uh, to protect him from questioning all those things that's going to be brought to him from a family standpoint. I mean, we have to remember, I think it hasn't been brought to his attention. I think it's the next episode um, when they start bringing up his, his lineage, right? But I still think violence is right. always his answer to when things really get questioned. He's like, oh, let me just kill someone. Let me just outla- outlash against something. And then I am king and you can't you can't question me. So we've got a lot of of, of very evil characters in the show. We've already lost one in Viserys. I think there are a lot of different mindsets represented. We have a whole hell of a lot of sociopaths. I think on yeah. the good and bad spectrums, lots of narcissists. I would argue that Joffrey is the one psychopath in this show, like the yeah. one true psychopath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I totally agree. Um, he's he's got that serial killer vibe that you're like, oh, even if you weren't king, some weird shit would be happening with you like that we just don't want to deal with. Oh, uh, incest, I, kids, avoid it. I think so far the one psychopath. I think there is another psychopath, and coincidentally, Sansa also marries him. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. You're absolutely yeah yeah. <laughs> dis, dis disregard. But uh, let's go. I want to take it back to Tyrion real quick because I, Tony, you made a comment, I think, on one of the first episodes. It may have even been the inaugural episode. Uh, yes, you're right. I want to see Tyrion's penis. Are you happy? <laughs> <laughs> no. I did not uh, know we were going that you, direction. <laughs> you had brought up that Tyrion's accent was just so terrible. And he just really didn't stick yet for you. It was the first episode, yeah. So I gave it the entire first season because I didn't really think about that until you brought it up. And then I was listening for it, right? And then it was then I started noticing it. <laughs> so then I watched I was kinda had an ear I had an ear out for it the whole time and my God. I don't even I don't know if I can be in this podcast anymore. It is driving me insane. And even Jenna brought it up too. She we're watching and she goes, Oh, I you know, he's not he's not bad as a character. I like him, but I just 
I can't stand his accent. It doesn't sound like anyone else's accent in the show. <laughs> Something's just a little off. It must be like one vowel or something that's just slightly askew, but it just nags at the back of your head. Yeah. Um, it's just so, it just seems so forced. Yeah. In a, in a show that is very British actor heavy, yeah. I think you, it's easily noticeable. It, it's forced. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing too is there's plenty of people in the show that barely put on an accent at all. And that's not even as noticeable as his terrible accent. So that's true. Yeah. So what about John and uh, with him finding out about the death and then running away? Do you think that was a... Um... A similar thing with family now. I mean, we've seen his his dad hit a hard moment and then throw a little tantrum and run away from the king. Do you, I mean, do you think they're trying to show a similar quality to John by that moment? You know, and then counter I, that with him obviously coming back because that's mm. when I saw that scene in in, in similar. Now that I've, I mean, the show compared to when you're reading it, it's just so different in the sense you get this visual representation. I I would argue that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're showing a growth in the family, right? He's like, yeah, he's his father's son, but he has qualities that is just, you know, so much more that he, he gets the honor, but he also accepts friendship, you know, and you're hearing my cat like crying in the background, which is super it's beautiful, annoying right yeah. now. <laughs> Persian kitties, murder them all. Um, yeah, what did you think? It's always been my... Uh, assessment that that's kind of what they're going for with Jon Snow in that moment where they're that's his final like change to accepting the Night's Watch as his brotherhood until and I don't think this is season seven it might be season six uh, I don't want to I mean we're spoiling anyway but like when Jon has that real big moment where uh, he comes back from the dead and then does this whole like my watch is ended thing I think it just sets up that no, not necessarily. Uh, and, you know, the watch changes a lot and does him dirty. But I think that this moment is more about him having the honor to save his friend's life because he knows if he doesn't go back, they're deserters as well. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily think that he's all there. I, I think they're that's what they're going for, but they're kind of leaving it open. And in my head, with hindsight, I think that it's less about that and more just about him caring for the people around him i think that's interesting because i'm always looking for that now in the in the show looking to see how they how they do things when you don't have you know as much kind of detail and explanation in the books where we lose a little bit here and there so i'm always looking at that and the symbology of those things so i don't know that was still a cool scene i mean john's obviously is one of those characters that's very lovable in this season and so you're starting to really get a feel for what he wants and the honor he believes in. I, I still think it's cool when he's talking to Mormont about, you know, he's like, I need you. I want you. If you want to come, we're going to go, we're going to go fight the real war, the war that actually matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think I like the whole, uh, John at the wall arc right now. Uh, I think one of my, that actually leads me into my best moment of the show, which Ooh. I think is probably a bit, different uh originally i thought it was going to be the daenerys scene at the end with the dragons and just because that sets up some cool stuff but my i think my favorite scene when i was watching this this episode the scene that got me just most the most pumped 
because I couldn't really remember season two that much and how much they actually went into it. But I just I loved when the whole Night's Watch is getting prepped to go oh, yeah. across yeah. the wall, and it's like, and and uh, is it Gior? I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Mormont, like Gior yeah. Mormont, um, is just like at the lead at the helm. It's just it's so badass. You hear that that survivor in the back it's the eye of the time <laughs> it's, per- it's perfect yeah I, re- I i really love that scene a lot lighting the torches you're like yeah let's burn <laughs> yeah. something like oh it is a, i agree actually i mean now that i think about like like the you get amped up in that scene where yeah. obviously it ends in a very like cool unexpected i mean it doesn't have the same effect when you've read the books and seen the you know the dragons are gonna are gonna hatch but i mean that was cool. A little CG for me, you know. I didn't think the CG was too bad looking, but it wasn't the greatest. Are you talking about the dragons now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's cool. Yeah, as far as the dragons are concerned, <laughs> they look worse uh, at some points oh, beyond yeah. this. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, I mean, it's the it's the final moment. Daenerys birthing the dragons changes so much, sets her from essentially what was going to be certain death to okay, now, you know, you got this real fighting chance, and, uh, you know, we'll start to learn in the next season that it's not your golden ticket to everything, but it's, it's going to set her up quite nicely. I have I have two questions about this, uh, and I'll start with my first one and then kind of end our discussion here with the last one. Um, it's dark when this whole funeral thing happens, and it's not even dawn. It's full-on daytime by the time uh, Daenerys is like, checked on like did they wait a bunch of hours for that to happen yeah, they, like, they clearly <laughs> went to sleep while she was burning and just like, got up we, and do we just chill out here for a little bit i mean well there's a nice fire right because so that entire that entire wooden structure was ash yeah, yeah. which would take yeah, yeah, yeah. a very long time to burn like till the next morning if not into the afternoon yeah and so. she she only looked up when they showed up as well so maybe she also went to sleep yeah, she was tired <laughs> Okay, does anyone have anything else on Danny? Because I have a question I want to post to you guys about yeah. it. No. So I, I got one quick question. So I get that she doesn't burn, and I, that and maybe this is a stupid question, but apparently that extends to her hair as well. Her hair doesn't burn. Okay, so here is my question. That's a good thank you. It leads into it perfectly. So in the books, her hair does burn off. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also in the books, Daenerys is not fireproof and george martin has made a point to say this like daenerys it's a product of of the spell of everything that's going on of the the mythos of the dragon of the life that she's sacrificing of this you know all of these very lucky and coincidental things that are coming together but beyond that and before that daenerys is not fireproof and in the show they set it up that she very much is like we've already seen a couple instances of it and we go on to see a couple more like ridiculous instances of it and i wonder which ones you guys prefer i prefer the way it is in the show uh Mm -hmm. it's pretty biased because i haven't read the book but i feel like (laughs) her character just in generally or just in general sorry being fireproof to me is more believable or eat more easily believable than if it just everything converged at once to allow this one episode of fireproofivity (laughs) sure right uh we love create making up words on this show so we do uh, it so well i yeah i think i think if i had to try or even just trying to write that in the episode that it was all just kind of a one-off would be even more difficult than just flat out saying she's fireproof for me um because yeah. it would be one of those like are you serious like 
really? That 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 seems weird that they would just be that one time that all the stars align and allowed her to have that capability. So I, I kind of like it the way it's in the show, but like I said, I uh, have not read a book, period. So I think the show does a good job, actually, of letting that play out. Um, obviously, I think when it comes to the her hair color and everything from the book, the silver with the Targaryen... Um, or not Targaryen, with uh, what's her, their family. You got it right. You're Targaryen? Yeah. I don't know why I'm thinking that's confused. Um, so with the whole silver thing, I mean, they're supposed to have violet eyes or purple eyes or some, something yeah. like that, right? For the book. Um, I think So I think they do a good job, and I think the show actually benefits from this starting now because that's such a cool symbol at the end. In the books, though, it's it's it has much more representation of her progress when, when she does get that those things. And they don't even... They, you lose so much in that in the show, right? You have to explain so much more of the war, and I don't think they have True. time to do those things. Um, that, and I don't know how hot she would be with, with no hair. Um, and that would be a hard thing for me to watch. I mean, if she was naked, no hair, I could do that. <laughs> I think, we, But we all know she's going to put clothing on. Sure. Um, it's the one thing of, and it's kind of going into next season already, but talking into season two, episode one, they're in this very desolate, desperate position. And I think had they had her hair burn off, it would have kind of helped to sell it a little bit better. Um, so I, I don't know that that's a, why that that's a choice that they didn't stick with. But I guess if you're going to say that somebody's fireproof, you kind of have to extend that to everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a cool scene though. I mean, it, it's, it is a really neat scene. I still think that's, um, I mean, the holding the three dragons, I just remember the awkward way she's holding, like, the one dragon, like, in the pelvic region when she's standing <laughs> up, and I'm like, yeah, that looks uncomfortable. Stop doing that. Mm-hmm. She likes the warm scales. She likes the warm scales. Looks a little dangerous there. Doesn't break the show for me. Well, it's, uh, of course, the final episode of season one, which means that we will be starting season two coming up on Monday, but we're also going to have something a little special for you tomorrow. Uh, Hans, you want to maybe preview that a bit? Uh, yeah, we're going to do a little bonus season recap episode tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be uh, just a little bit more lax, uh, relaxed episode. Uh, we're not necessarily setting an exact time frame. We're just going to kind of uh, start chatting about the episode, give our th- or, uh, start chatting about the season, give our thoughts on, on the whole season. If we get off track talking about other stuff, we're just going to let it ride, uh, see what happens. I also, we also have a, a, a guest uh, our first guest on the show. Oh, we've really made it, Mom. Daenerys, I know. So right, we're going to have. She's gonna. She's gonna fly. Yeah. Yeah. Busy really right now. We're going to have. Uh, we're going to have my friend Rob Drogo. on the show, uh, who also is a star of a very successful podcast uh, called "And Rob's Your Uncle." Uh, so he's gonna he's gonna stop by and chat about some Game of Thrones, chat about some other things. Maybe we'll talk about his podcast. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Maybe maybe we absolutely won't. And uh, <laughs> but you know what we're gonna talk about tomorrow? Scones, yeah, lots of scones. scones. Yeah, mm-hmm. as always, we we pre- we try to run a fifty fifty here on Thrones and Scones. <laughs> and I, don't, I almost good. don't want to go to it because I I've seen your scone, Hans. It doesn't look great, but you've got a quote unquote power scone today. Where is it from? It is uh, from a local coffee shop called Valentine coffee oh, okay. uh, and just to quick quickly review this thing uh, i do want to paraphrase uh, a quote from kanye west which i introduced a bit but uh in my oh, opinion yes. no one man no one man should have any of this power 
Of course, you can see it on our Instagram and understand why immediately. If you want to hit that up, it's Thrones and Scones. You can count how many times we've posted the wrong scone on the wrong day. I think we're up to twice already, and it's been two weeks. Yay, us. Uh, Facebook and Twitter are also Thrones and Scones, so whatever you want to hit us up. We're everywhere if you want to listen to us. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. You want to hit us up on Podbeam at thronesandscones.com. That's got all the links for you. And we will catch you tomorrow for that little bonus action. Then, of course, next week for your usually scheduled program with Season 2, Episode 1. You're down with G-O-T. Yeah, you, you know, know me. me. We didn't talk about Daenerys' boobs enough, though, right? I mean, I feel like we should go back and just cover those things one more time. I, I <laughs> you, oh, you want to cover them? That's that's exactly the I opposite mean, of what I thought I you would be cover them. going for here. I want to get to know them. Oh, we my. should all get to know them. Okay. In all fairness, with the uh, <coughs> posting the wrong scones, we got to buy a lot of scones. Okay. It's, 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 it's <laughs> true. This, oh yeah. This, this ain't confusing. easy. Once, just one time, we, we keep seeing Bran in this dream with the three-eyed raven, and it always sets up the same, and then something different happens. Just once, I want him to see, it opens up, he's stringing his bow, he looks, there's the raven, and I just want him to shoot it. <laughs> I just want him to peg the bird right between its try-eye. I always was between shots. So I, I, get, I get that Bran has these abilities. Are we supposed to just know that Rickon also has some sort of thing going on that he saw Ned too, or? It's unclear. In the books, all the Starks have this connection with their wolves. Okay. um, Where they can kind of see through them. Bran to the nth degree, like he does in the books. And I think he's the only one that can ever control it, if I'm correct. Maybe John, maybe John? I think John, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember. Like Rob, no, and but they don't allude to any of that in the book. So we we get so little of Rickon that it's hard to know what they're going okay. for. And they make um, but Rick, yeah, it's they make Rickon kind of a little creep in this one. He just it was just kind of creepy because he kind of like he kind of comes in and then they talk to him a bit and then he just kind of floats away, <laughs> he just kind of floats away into the darkness, <laughs> slinks back again. Nighty night, brother. <laughs> I remember, I remember like vaguely Arya showing up with the Night's Watch and her being bullied by a guy. I don't remember it being that that hot pie kid who, by the time Arya leaves the group, is like the whiniest little brat. And to see him here being like this big tough like, oh, little good looking boy, like I'll, I'll kick you in your balls to death. I've kicked a man in his balls to death before. I, I can't believe we didn't bring that up. Like the fat kid, I kick you in the balls. That's how I commonly murder people.